Good morning, church. So good to be with you today. My name is Daniel, and what a privilege it is to have you with us in these moments of our services. If you're a guest, I'll let you know up front, we're, we're about the Bible here at Calvary. We believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. We believe it is relevant for us today. And so we look to these moments as a community to come around the Scriptures, to learn more about who God is and who Jesus is and how are we called to respond to the saving message of Jesus with our lives? How are we called to walk with the Spirit of God each and every day and to be transformed? And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to open up to the book of Galatians. We're going to start in Galatians chapter 5 and go into the first part of chapter 6. And while you're turning there, let me remind you of the series that we are in. We're in the midst of a series called The Way Forward. And this series is rooted in a passage of scripture in Philippians where the Apostle Paul would say, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so we've been coming around this idea of, of what is the way forward? When we look at where the church is right now, when we think about the future church, when we think about what God is calling us into, what might that look like? How can we participate in that? And so with that as our premise today, why don't we go ahead and let's stand to our feet for the reading of the word. Beginning in, again, Galatians 5, verse 22, the word of the Lord would say this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with all its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come around this text. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, that it would sink deep into our soul, that, that we would be encouraged by the word, but not just simply encouragement to the sense of feeling good, but encouragement to step in and to practice what is being spoken of. And so, Father, whatever distractions that might be going on in our heart and our life right now, may we, may we yield those to you in these moments. And may we believe, God, that you are going to do a good work right now. May we believe that you are going to speak something of significance to us in these moments. We thank you, Father. We love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. My daughter Astoria takes her role as big sister very seriously. And one of the roles that she has as big sister that she particularly enjoys is getting to let mommy and daddy know when Otto has done something bad. When Otto's done something bad, something wrong, she'll, she'll run into the room, you know, daddy, daddy, Otto did something bad. You, you, you got to come see it. Oh, story, what, what did he do? Oh, dad's bad. You, you, gotta, you gotta come. You gotta come see it. And so she'll rush out of the room and inevitably I'll come following after. And then she'll have like a, a Vanna White pose. You know, like when she reveals a letter, like a story is sitting there like, 
like really excited to show daddy what Otto has done. And maybe it's taken pen to one of daddy's favorite books or it's a Sharpie on the cupboard or just throwing mess onto the floor for the sake of it. But what's interesting about a story is she'll, she'll draw attention to it. She'll call it to light. She'll say, hey, this is wrong. This is bad. Look what Otto did. And then oftentimes she kind of just leaves the room and goes about her business and gets back to her toys and her show. And then there's poor little Otto. She's sitting in the kitchen by himself with dad. And Otto's pretty sensitive nowadays. So oftentimes after she gets done showcasing what has transpired and she leaves, there's little Otto in the kitchen, just eyes starting to well up with tears. And he'll start to cry because he feels bad. He's been caught. And he feels that, that, that sense of, of maybe even some guilt in there. Now, it's in these moments where I have a really important role as a dad. See, what I get to do is I get to get on my knees and I get to say, hey, buddy, it's okay. Yeah, you shouldn't write on daddy's books. Shouldn't write on the cupboard. Shouldn't just throw your food on the floor because it's fun. But hey, I love you. I'll help you clean it up. I wonder how many people who have been in the church have had that moment where, where they maybe made a mess. Or that moment where, where they gave into temptation, they gave into sin. And maybe we in the church, we were really good about calling it out. We were really good about drawing attention to it. We were really good about saying, hey, did you hear what happened in this family? Did you know what they're going through? Have you, have you heard of this? And then oftentimes we've just left them there. I wonder how many people in the church are wounded because we were not willing to take this type of a posture. That we were not willing to, to come alongside. And, and not to condone sin, but also not to carry a spirit of condemnation with us. To engage and not reject them in their moment where they need they need a brother and a sister in Christ to come alongside. Not only are there people in the church who they need to have this type of experience because of pain, because of wound that has transpired in the midst of the new family of God, but I'm telling you that culture needs to see us get this part well. I heard recently a woman say, the culture we live in uh, it demands atonement without a pathway to forgiveness and redemption. And you don't have to think real deep before you can realize where that's actually taking place in, in our culture. I mean, think about the social phenomenon of, of what they call cancel culture. Now, you all probably have your own opinions on cancel culture. That's not this point that I'm trying to make. If you don't know what cancel culture is, basically it's this premise of an individual or a group or a company you know, does something, says something, something is found out about them that does not align with a particular grouping of people's understanding of how things should be. And so effectively what happens is we, we cancel them, we reject them, right? 
And I was reading an article about this, and this woman, Rachel Hewitt, makes this statement. She says, platforms like Twitter and YouTube provide near instant access to the most recent blacklisted rejected members of its own group. And it's not just YouTube stars who participate. The Christian church at large, if we are honest, has long participated in cancel culture via excommunication and community rejection. When a fellow believer has fallen into to sin and has been tempted, our response is oftentimes more formed by the culture around us than the word of God that should be in front of us. I mean, we as believers in Jesus, if anybody's going to get this thing right, it should be us. Because we have received this incredible gift of salvation through the blood of Jesus just spread on the cross. And yet we have been people who have received such grace. It's really the essence as to what we believe, yet it somehow has not transformed in us being able to offer that to one another. But see, we have to get this. We have to understand this, but oftentimes we don't. And what happens is then there are individuals in the church, or at least at one point we're part of a local body of believers. And now what they really resound with is the, the words of the psalmist in Psalm 142 verse four, where it'd say, look to the right and see. There's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. In fact, there actually might be some of us in this room right now who resonate deeply with that. I look to the right and there's no one there. I look to the left. No one is caring for my soul. You know, the Apostle Paul, to his letter in the church in Corinth, he, he talks about this beautiful message of reconciliation that we've been given as believers in Jesus. This message of reconciliation. Those who have been reconciled to God through Christ have now been given the message of reconciliation to enter into culture, to enter into your workspaces, and to carry that message of reconciliation. But the question we might have to ponder this morning is how can we fulfill the message of reconciliation and deny the biblical mandate of restoration? How foolish is it to think that we will care well for outside others if we can't take care of one another? And Jesus talks about this. In John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. If what? If you have love for one another. I believe that one of the ways that love is manifested in the church is through the work of forgiveness and redemption and restoration. Uh, might it be time for the church to have a prophetic voice that as we live in a culture that demands atonement with no clear pathway to redemption and forgiveness, might the church display the beauty and the glory of the gospel of Jesus through a group of people who are willing to step into restorative work? Might we together as a church fulfill our call to become a counter-narrative to the cultural realities around us? 
which is why I believe that the way forward is restorative. But restorative work is gentle work. Restorative work must be steeped in biblical wisdom, personal humility, profound patience. So how do we do this well? The Apostle Paul, as we read earlier, he says this in chapter 6, verse 1 of his letter to the church in Galatia. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. Why do we as believers still fall into sin? I mean, think about it for just a moment. Jesus paid the price for sin. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. We receive salvation because of the free gift of, of grace and mercy that God has on offer through what his son was able to accomplish. Yet we still find moments where we give in to temptation. The Apostle Paul earlier in his letter, he actually talks about this. He says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. See, what we need to realize and understand is that those of us who profess faith in Christ, there is a battle taking place within you. You have this fleshly nature with its own drives and its own passions and its own desires, and then we enter into relationship with God through Jesus and we receive the Spirit of God, but there still is this tension we live in. There's this tension that we have to, to navigate, to resist the desire to give in to the ways of the flesh. And so when we give way to the fleshly desire, what happens is what Paul says, we, we get caught in sin. Or another translation says that we can become overcome by sin. And then I think a a process begins to unfold. What I want to do is I want to call this process the sin-guilt-separation dynamic. And what I want to do is I want to explore this a little bit for just a moment because what we're going to do is we're going to understand this dynamic and then I want to process through how Satan works within this dynamic and then how are we as believers in Jesus called to counter the schemes of the devil. Can we handle that today? Okay. So let's work through this dynamic, sin, guilt, separation. Due to the battle that we have between the flesh and the spirit, we are often tempted, and sometimes we do give in to that temptation, and we sin. And every single one of us is susceptible to that. And then what will take place is we begin to maybe feel a sense of guilt because of that sin. But we may not feel like we can be honest about what's going on. Maybe uh, we're afraid of community rejection. Maybe we're afraid of condemnation. So what happens is we typically, we begin to kind of separate ourselves. Here's kind of practically what this looks like. Have you ever had a friend of yours who, you know, maybe used to come to church with you all the time or they used to be part of your, your rooted life group and then you haven't seen them in a while. And then you reach out and you say, hey, I, where have you been? We, we miss you. 
And the response might sound like this. You know what? I'm just kind of going through some things right now. I'm processing through some things. We've got some stuff going on in the family, but you know, we're going to get it worked out and then, and then we'll be back. See, what that sounds like is the sin-guilt-separation dynamic. Something within them doesn't believe that they can be real and vulnerable and honest about what's really transpiring. And we've got to be able to navigate why is that and what role might we play in that. So why understanding that that dynamic is so important is because the enemy knows exactly how to work within that dynamic. He has a very limited playbook but he's got some incredible plays for these three areas. This, this is all he has. But he knows how to work it really, really well. So this destructive dynamic is what we're going to call. The enemy wants to take that sin, guilt, separation. He wants to turn it into this destructive dynamic for you and for me. And what this begins with is sin is rooted in lies. Pastor Ray did a brilliant job last week talking about this. And we actually read this passage, but I want to read it again. John 8, 44. Speaking of the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So his ploy, where it begins, is with an idea, a deceptive idea, a lie that we begin to believe that causes us to stray away from God's vision for life. A lie or a lie that, or multiple lies that will lead us to giving ourselves over to our fleshly and disordered desires and ultimately leading to sin. And the enemy wants that sin to be rooted deeply in these lies. That the reason why you're acting in this way is because nobody loves you. Or you have no value, you have no worth. There could be no future for you. So you might as well just give over to this temptation because what does it really matter? And what then happens is that sin leads to that sense of guilt. But what the enemy wants to do is have guilt lead to shame and condemnation. And then what happens is separation becomes long-term isolation. This is what the enemy wants for you and me. To give in to temptation, to sin, for that sin to be deeply rooted in lies, for us then to experience guilt and then shame and then condemnation, and then ultimately separate to a long-term isolation. And then he will just have a heyday with us at that point. And we will just sit in that. And the lies will become deeply, deeply rooted into our soul. And we will walk in isolation and we will be wounded and we will be hurt and we will not see a, a fruitful Christian experience in our life. It will be painful. And that's exactly where he wants you to be. So we as followers of the way of Jesus, what we have to begin to realize and ask ourselves is how do we counter that? Because we don't have to just sit in it. And we don't have to just watch individuals in our church go through this process and just kind of sit back. 
but there's actually a way for us to step into a, a restorative dynamic. And so I want to begin to process this together. How do we do this? Well, remember, what did Paul say? Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. The word restore here, the ancient Greeks use this to describe when like a bone is broken and then the process in which it takes for it to be restored. The term restored is this present imperative. It's not just a particular act which is required, but a process. Restoration does not just happen instantaneously. The one who's caught in a transgression needs to be restored. They're not to be ignored. They're not to be excused. They're not to be destroyed. As Paul says to the church in Corinth, we need to aim for restoration. And you who are spiritual should be the ones to restore. One commentator says it like this, the job of restoration is often neglected in the church. We have a tendency to either pretend that sin never happened, or we tend to react too harshly towards the one who has sinned. The balance between these two extremes can only be negotiated by the spiritual. It should be normal to do what God says here, but it isn't. It is all too easy to respond to someone's sin with gossip, harsh judgment, and undiscerning approval. So the restorative dynamic begins with personal examination. And this is key. See, pointing out what's wrong in someone, can I just tell you a little secret? We're pretty good at that part. All right, the church has done a pretty good job of that portion of this. We have to take a step back and realize that begin, before ever getting into speaking truth or walking through any type of process, it begins with you having some personal examination. We have to ask ourselves the questions like, am I walking by the Spirit? How do I know if I'm walking by the Spirit? Well, is the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in my life? Am I becoming more a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Those who are spiritual are maturing into Christ-likeness, and then they embody the way of Jesus. See, what happens here is that it's no longer theory to you. It's actually being worked out in practice. So are you walking by the Spirit? Also, is your motivation love or is it self-righteousness and superiority? Is your motivation love? Are you even willing to engage in this out of a place of just absolute love for this person? Or is it really just this religious spirit that you have where you get to think you can correct everybody? Is it just out of a heart of judgment towards this person? Or would you really love to see them restored and entered back into fellowship and communion with Christ? Another question to ask is, is there relationship here? It's easy to call out what's wrong in someone you have no relationship with, but, but what if you first were to engage in relationship, develop rapport, actually understand one another? This is why I think a lot of us, at least for me personally, I'll speak for me, 
This is why I sometimes have an issue with the person with the big sign outside the stadium. There's no relationship. Uh, what people should do is come to the person, hey, listen, you're saying a lot about my future right now. Could I at least know your name? Because you're really speaking a lot about where I'm going to end up for eternity. I'd at least like to know a little bit about you. The restorative dynamic demands relationship. Because you have to know that my heart is in this because I love you, I care about you, I want what is best for you. I have no judgment in this. This is not out of a spirit of condemnation. It's out of a spirit of wanting to see you become more and more who God called you to be. And so it has to begin with this personal examination. And then here's what takes place. We combat the enemy's lies with truth. Isn't it so gracious of God to provide us truth? Isn't it so good for God to, to provide us this beautiful orchestration of texts that can say, hey, listen, I know you feel like nobody loves you or cares about you, but can I tell you what God says about you? I know you're operating in this way because you sense this about yourself or this has been spoken over you or you believe this lie. Yeah, but have you ever read this before? Because the God who created the heavens and the earth says this about you, would love you so much to send his son for you, which means that you need to combat these lies that you believe with this truth so that you can understand that there is a greater reality for you to participate in. But we have to combat those enemies' lies with this truth, which means you and I have to know this truth. You have to know the truth. The challenge we face is from John Dawson is to communicate truth without judging the individual, to uphold standards without taking up the satanic pattern of condemnation and accusation. Dallas Willard says it like this, if we would really help those close to us and dear, and if we would learn to live together with our family and neighbors in the power of the kingdom, we must abandon the deeply rooted human practice of con condemning. See, when we combat the enemy's lies with truth, the guilt we experience doesn't need to lead to shame and condemnation. It can lead to confession and forgiveness. I love this. John Mark Comer says, guilt can actually be a good thing. There are times and situations when guilt is the emotionally healthy, mature, loving response to our sin. Guilt is to the soul what pain is to the body, a kind of moral discomfort. Pain is only bad when it goes on indefinitely. In the short term, it's a gift from God to our bodies, a messenger whose job is to tell us we need to fix something fast. See, guilt isn't necessarily a negative thing. It's trying to tell you something. It's your soul's way of saying, hey, something's not right. And so then we can lead in this process of confession and forgiveness. Look at what uh, 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need processes of confession to one another. We need processes of where we can bestow forgiveness on one another. Now, it's not that you need to come confess things to me because I'm a pastor. No, no, no. That work is done by Jesus on the cross. We confess our sins to him, but sometimes there's something beautiful about coming alongside and saying, hey, 
this is what's transpired in my life. And I need to be real and I need to be honest and I need you to walk with me. And if we do these first few correct, I think what happens is separation does not become long-term isolation, but it can become restored fellowship and communion with Christ. And ultimately that is the result of restoration, communion with Christ. We need to understand that word communion because I think even I say communion, you're probably imagining that we're about to enter into a time of communion. We're actually not today. Maybe a miss. We'll get that better next time. But see, communion is actually this really beautiful thing that takes place in the life of a believer. When we say yes to Jesus, when we receive our salvation, what happens is we actually enter into what is called union with Christ. All throughout the New Testament, you'll see the Apostle Paul, in Christ, in Christ, you are in Christ, you are in Christ. When we say yes to Jesus, we are in union with Christ. Nothing can disrupt union. Nothing can take union away from you. That is a gift that is received through the receiving of your salvation. Communion is actually different, though, than union. Communion with Christ happens when we, when we deny the flesh when we crucify the flesh, when we walk with the Spirit, when we begin to grow in Christ-likeness. In fact, maturity in Christ happens in communion. In fact, if you're not growing in Christ-likeness, if you don't see uh, the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in your life, I'm just gonna throw this out there. Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Because sin hinders communion. It hinders communion. And that communion, that fellowship with Christ, that's where maturity happens. That's where we grow into Christ's likeness. That's where we really begin to change things around us. But at times we we hinder that work. Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. When you and I sin and we do not confess that sin, we quench the Spirit of God. We grieve the Spirit of God. And so there does come that moment where we have to be able to be real and to be honest and to be vulnerable with what's transpiring so that we can enter back into communion and fellowship and begin to really see what God might want to do in our hearts and lives. And what we can do as a body of believers is that when someone who we know and love and care about has entered into sin and we know what's transpiring or they've been honest or maybe we just know because we're all really good at chatting about it, might we take this posture? And might we say, hey, listen, I love you and I care about you. And I'm telling you, the way that you are going about life right now is not going to lead to the abundant life that Jesus has on offer for us. But listen, I know it's hard. Let's navigate together. What are you thinking about? What's worrying you right now? You know, you start having conversations and you start actually even hearing them without them knowing it. They start telling you the lies that they've believed. And then hopefully as 
people who follow the way of Jesus, we're spending time in the word of God and then the Holy Spirit just starts connecting things in our minds. We say, yeah, but you know what? This is what God says. And then we come alongside others in that time of confession and forgiveness and we, we walk alongside. And, and here's the deal. You have to be patient with this process. You have to have wisdom. You have to have humility. But again, Imagine what culture would think when they saw the church with this type of posture towards one another. Imagine what the world would begin to think is that when, when something goes wrong within the body of believers, when someone gives in to temptation, gives in to that sin, destruction begins to happen, but we all said, wait a second, hey, listen, let me come alongside you. I'm not gonna walk out in your time of need. And it might be messy and it might be rough and it might be difficult. And I don't even know what the end is going to be because there's a lot of different components to this. But I'm willing. I'm willing. And I think those are the moments where the world goes, okay, maybe there is something to this Jesus thing. Because without something divine taking place, no human group of people could act that way towards one another. And that's when we get to go, you're right. God is that good. Jesus is that good. Would you too want to enter into this beautiful relationship? Let's all stand to our feet. The worship team is going to sing this song. And our service last night and then even this morning, I just felt at this point a need to allow people to respond. Uh, for some of you, you, you have been wounded by the church. Can I say this? I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry in the times where you had your moment of need and we weren't there for you. I'm very, very sorry. We're not perfect. The church has made and will make mistakes. But I would love to think that we can commit to to something better in the future. To be growing in our faith, to become more and more the women and the men that God has called us to be, to be there for one another. And maybe what you need more than anything right now is just for, for someone to, to maybe pray with you. Maybe that's what your heart is crying out for right now. Maybe you have been hurt in the past and you just need to have someone create a new experience for you within the construct of the church. Maybe the last time that you were feeling the way you were feeling right now, you ended up leaving because you knew no one would be there for you. But might right now be a different moment in experience. This song says, run to the Father. And that is a beautiful offer that we have, that we can run to God. And so here's what this is going to look like. If at any moment during this song, if you just want to come forward and come down to the front of the platform, you can stand, you can kneel. If you just want someone to pray with you, someone on our staff will come down and pray with you. And we just want to have a moment where God can minister to our hearts and get us ready to step into this beautiful gift of restoration. So let's sing together.